In December 2015, in a hospital in Pittsburgh, Stacey Seltzer gave birth to her second child, a boy. She'd name him Wyatt. It's crazy, that moment when he was born and he was placed on my chest. It was just, the love was so significant and overwhelming. That moment of bliss, peaceful connection between mother and child, came after three years of medical torment. Long stints in the hospital, misdiagnoses, chronic pain. If you do have to go to the hospital, you always hope it's gonna be a temple devoted to your healing. And if you have to see a doctor, you always want one who's attentive, empathetic, and super experienced. In other words, we just want the kind of care people always seem to be getting on TV. But it doesn't always work out that way. It certainly didn't for Stacy. The system not only failed her, it failed to take her seriously. And so when, at last, she had newborn Wyatt resting on her chest, when things finally went right for Stacy, it's not like it made up for all she'd been through. How could anything erase all that? But what it did do was help her see her ordeal in a new light. Trauma in some ways connects us. The sharing of other people's struggles is really what got me through my own. Hearing other people and how, how, how they survived, how they put one foot in front of the other. That's what we're talking to Stacy about today. How trauma can transform your perspective and help you forge new connections. This is I Survivor. From Wondery, I'm Jenna Brister. And I'm Wagatwe Winjuki. And this is I Survivor. This is a show about the people who fought back, who won, and who spend every day growing from their experience. Today, we're talking to Stacey Seltzer. She had severe stomach pain one day and went to the hospital. Unfortunately for her, she checked in the last day of June, and she experienced something called the July effect. Yeah, let's unpack this. What is the July effect exactly? Because I hadn't heard about it before we started researching this episode. Every summer, hospitals get a fresh crop of interns and they start on July 1st. This is the first time that there are going to be doctors practicing out in the field after graduating from med school. So everyone is moving up and shifting in their spaces in the hospital while still having to balance what's going on with the patients. Oh, I see. So the July effect is basically there's an influx of recent med school grads that are now interns running around kind of unsupervised at this point, taking care of patients. Basically, yeah, that's what happens. They're going to have some supervision. But the July effect is really about the idea that patients who go in a hospital during July are going to be at a greater risk of mishaps. Um, you know, there is some competing evidence about whether the July effect is actually real or a myth. But after hearing Stacey's story, it's really hard not to think that it's at least a possibility. Truth. And Stacy's July stint in the hospital is just one of the traumatic experiences that she had to go through. And what makes her story so frustrating is that Stacy's trauma could have been avoided if the doctors had just paid closer attention from the beginning. I'm asking for an old-ass doctor every time from now on. I want to see credentials. <laughs> so my husband and I got married in um, May of 2011. A few weeks after Stacy's wedding, she realized she had missed her period. It was surprising to me because I really never thought that I could get pregnant. It, it was just something that um, doctors, I had talked to doctors before, I had some complications, and it, I never really got concrete answers as, as a young woman in my 20s, so I, I didn't think I could get pregnant. She and her husband had come to terms with the fact that they weren't going to have kids, and they were totally fine with that. 
We thought we'd be like a really great aunt and uncle and that we would um, just really spoil, spoil the crap out of those kids and just live together, you know, happily. After mustering up the courage, Stacy took a pregnancy test. Turned out that I did, in fact, get pregnant. I had one of those, you know, lovely traditional honeymoon babies. And just like that, Stacy and her husband had to adjust to a whole new reality. With that, you know, there was a lot of shock that came into it. I had also just started a new job. He um, he had just started a new job too. Um, he was started a company with his father. We had this new marriage. We had the dog and the big house. We were all, you know, so it was all really shocking. And, and I'll, I'll be very honest, I wasn't exactly excited. As weeks progressed, Stacy and her husband warmed up to the idea, and they decided to carry the pregnancy to term. What she and her husband didn't know was that this pregnancy was about to set off a chain reaction that would completely change the course of their entire lives. So we wake up in the morning after finding, you know, a few weeks after we found out we were pregnant, and um, like we do every morning, we decided to take our dog Lua, our big Great Dane mix, for a walk. On that walk, we get just a few feet away from my house, and I feel this um, horrible stabbing pain, almost like somebody's stabbing me in the in the side with a knife. Um, it's very quick, comes and goes. Um, so I just turn to my husband and I tell him, hey, I'm gonna go back to the house, not really sure what this is, pregnancy-related or whatever, and I go back. Immediately, when I walk into the house, um, my body starts having a, a reaction. I break out into terrible cold, cold sweats to the point where my entire body is freezing cold and sweat is pouring through my clothes uh, and they're soaked completely. Um, I go into the bathroom thinking that I might throw up or pass out and um, just sit there and wait for my husband to get back. When he finally does arrive, um, I start just screaming that I'm in the bathroom and that something's wrong. He runs over to me, um, begins asking me all these questions, and, and, and I can't really answer them because I don't know what's going on. So he moves me over to the couch where I lay down um, and decide that the best thing to do is rest. I just assumed it was a miscarriage. And so I laid there trying to um, take a nap, thinking that maybe I could sleep it off. Um, what I didn't realize was that very slowly um, I was bleeding to death. What Stacy didn't know at the time was that she had an ectopic pregnancy, which means that the fertilized egg had implanted itself inside her fallopian tube. And the implantation is supposed to be in the uterus instead. Unfortunately, the embryo starts growing in the fallopian tube, and it gets too big, and it ruptures inside. And that's the sharp stabbing pain that she felt while she was out walking her dog. It was her fallopian tube bursting inside her. And because it was internal... She couldn't feel the bleeding or realize what was even happening. The crazy thing that I learned about bleeding to death is that um, is there's no pain. It was very relaxing to lay there and sort of just let myself wave in and out of consciousness. It wasn't until I felt like I was about to go to the bathroom all over the couch um, that made me finally jump up. I jumped up and started to run, and as I was running, I collapsed. My husband actually called 911, and the paramedics came, and actually, when they came, all of my veins in my body had collapsed. Um, and they had to, in a way, they, they didn't have to jolt me awake, but they had to resuscitate me with oxygen. Um, and the weird part is I, I remember all of it. I, w I was unconscious in many ways, but I could hear everything, which is sort of the crazy part of it. I could hear my husband talking to them, and them you know, trying to get me back. 
and I was taken from there, obviously, into um, an ambulance. Once the ambulance got there, we were rushed to the hospital, and honestly, it was straight out of a movie. They had people every, like running around me, and they even brought my husband in to before they took me to surgery, and, and I'm still convinced that they brought him in to say goodbye just in case. Um, I just remember they kept yelling, like, bring her husband in, bring her husband in, and um, they just brought him in, and then again, straight out of a movie, ran me down the hall to the surgery room. So in the surgery, um, they were able to save my life. What they did was um, they cut me pubic bone to belly button. They removed the um, ruptured fallopian tube and the fetus. Um, I thankfully was allowed, I, had, I was kept both my ovaries. They removed all of the leftover blood because my entire abdomen was filled with blood. And because of that, I was actually given seven pints of blood to save my life. As she was recovering in the hospital, Stacy started processing what had just happened. I was in there for about uh, four to five days, including being in the ER. Um, and it was just a lot of... Um, you know, wrapping your brain around what what had what had just happened. You know, just three weeks shy of uh, my entire family being at my house celebrating my wedding, and I I'm waking up because I almost died. The doctor um, who saved me, who became my OBGYN, um, came in one day and she sat down and she said, "You know, th- these things happen, but what happened to you was incredibly traumatic." And she said, I, I, I know right now you're dealing with the physical aspect of it, and I understand that you need to heal physically. She's like, but there is going to be a huge mental component of this because you not only almost lost your life, you lost a pregnancy, but just the way that you live your life is going to change from here on out. She actually gave me a card for a therapist right then and there and um, sat down and just sort of gave me an idea that that... <laughs> I want to say almost in a way that it was okay that I wasn't going to be okay, that this wasn't just about the physical healing in my in my stomach, that there was going to be more to it because I, I lost a lot in, in, in that 24 hours. In the weeks after Stacey's surgery, she realized that she actually did want to be a mother. I guess I'd pushed that away for so long that having that short-lived pregnancy made me realize that, wait, maybe I do want this. So even though the pregnancy was so traumatic, It also gave her new insight. She had hope that getting pregnant was in the cards for her. And so the loss also, in a way, gave me some hope that, you know, now I know I can get pregnant. Yes, we may have to have a complicated road in it, but that this is a possibility for us. But before she could even think about trying to get pregnant again, she had to recover. Stacey had just gone through a major surgery, and the road ahead wasn't going to be easy. We have a a three-story Victorian brownstone, um, and our bedroom's on the third floor, of course. So um, mattress in the living room. Um, uh, Jason had to carry me upstairs to shower. I couldn't walk. I wasn't allowed to do steps. There was a bit of a blame game there where, you know, if, if I hadn't waited so long, if I hadn't stayed at home, if I had let Jason take me to the ER earlier, none of this would have happened. It would have just been, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have almost died. Even though Stacy's body was healing, her mental health was getting worse. A lot of crying, a lot of, um, I was probably very irrational, mood swings, you know, happy one minute, sad the next. At one point, finally, um, I think I was, maybe Jason was a little bit fed up with me, but he handed me the card that the doctor had given me for the therapist, and he's like, I think it's time. 
And so I started uh, going to see the therapist and that, that really helped me. I, th I think the biggest thing, which is sort of funny looking back, was that she said, let's try one thing and see if it works. And she said, let's go to sleep and wake up at the same time every night. Like, just try that. Just get on a normal sleeping schedule. You're sleeping on a floor, you're doing this. And honestly, that, sa that saved me. We had a lot of great things happen after that. You know, we, I, I travel a lot for work. We went to Ireland, we went to Germany, we traveled all over the country. It, w it was great. We got to, you know, spend time together and, um, and just get to know each other. I mean, we, we'd, we'd been together for three years before that, but now we were a married couple. So it was, it, it was really great. It really was. It, it, and by the, by the spring of the following year in, in 2012, I, I re really was starting to feel like myself again. Um, and I was also starting to think about talking to Jason about kids. I thought, okay, it's been close to a year. Let, let's, let's start you know, having this conversation. Less than a year after ectopic pregnancy, Stacy's plans were derailed again. It was probably around, yeah, like May, June, and I had this event planned. Um, friends of mine, the same friends who had came out to visit previously, were coming to visit again, but this time for a Kenny Chesney concert. Planned the whole weekend, June 30th, 2012, and I'd done a wine tasting the night before and had had all my friends out while they were all traveling in from, from all over the state. And I woke up the next morning, and I wasn't feeling really well. Um, and just all, all day, I didn't feel well. Well, Saturday rolls around, and it's time for uh, the concert. And I wake up, and I have this intense, intense, it almost feels like somebody's taking a sharp pointed knife and stabbing it directly in the middle of my stomach. This horrible, horrible stabbing pain. And then the next thing I know, I break out into full cold sweats. And when that happened, I just turned to my husband and said, you, you, you got to get me to the ER. They did rush us in pretty quickly. They, they got us in. Um, but as you look around, you realize that although the Kenny Chesney concert hasn't started, the festivities have. And there are people there in, you know, boots and, you know, with cuts from falling down, people who drank too much already. So I go in and I, I, was, I was treated pretty poorly. No one ever came out and said this, but that they assumed that I was there drug-seeking. I'd been on some pretty strong painkillers while I was in the hospital, and then when I got out of the hospital. And I was on for a good while. Again, I'd had my stomach ripped open. At this point now, I'm, I'm trying, I'm throwing up because I'm in so much pain. And when I'm throwing up, I think they're like, oh, drug withdrawal. Oh, she has these stomach pains. They're not, like, connecting the dots. Finally, the hospital took Stacy in for a CAT scan to figure out what was really going on. It comes out that I have a partial bowel obstruction. So just meaning that part of my intestines is being blocked and that's what's causing the pain and the vomiting. And at that moment, the doctor or the tech or whomever read the, this CAT scan results diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. Crohn's is a chronic disease that causes inflammation and scarring in the intestines. In some cases, the inflammation gets so bad that it creates a blockage in the intestines. What they then did was they admitted me to the hospital because the next step for any either partial or full obstruction is they normally will wait for it to resolve on its own. Now, 
there's something that happens in all hospitals as of July 1st, and that's that all the new interns start. So it's all of the people who are, you know, in medical school graduate, and on July 1st they start. Um, so we had a fresh batch of young people in, coming in, trying to talk to us about what was going on. Um, it also, simultaneously, is the 4th of July holiday, which they coincide. So a lot of the doctors and the surgeons and people are also leaving to go on their lovely vacations. Cece was admitted to the hospital on June 30th, 2012. It would be a month before she left again. Hey, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich, a show about the occasionally outrageous behavior of people who have a lot of money and a lot of feelings. On our next season, we bring you a story that combines sibling rivalry, high fashion, and murder. Gianni and Donatella Versace built one of the most iconic fashion labels in the world. But when Gianni gets shot, it's up to Donatella to step out from behind her brother's shadow and try to save the brand they built from ruin. Subscribe to Even the Rich, The House of Versace, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free. Lieutenant Colonel Nancy Jacks is an Army scientist. Her story is the subject of The Hot Zone, a new miniseries from National Geographic on the 1989 Ebola scare in Ruston, Virginia. In 1989, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., Army scientist Nancy Jacks faced an unimaginable horror, Ebola's arrival on U.S. soil. That is the premise of National Geographic's upcoming three-night limited series, The Hot Zone. It's inspired by true events, and it stars Golden Globe and Emmy Award winner Juliana Margulies as Lieutenant Colonel Nancy Jacks. She's here to talk about her experience. Hi, Nancy. Thanks again for joining us. Hi, Jenna. It's great to be here. Now, Nancy, the work you did for the Army was very dangerous, and not everyone would be jumping for joy to work with deadly diseases every day. What drew you to this kind of work? We were in a residency program, and there weren't a lot of people on the staff that really wanted to work with the virus. I had a really uh, wonderful boss at the time, and he said, I think this is the perfect project for you, and we talked about it. Uh, And I became very interested in it because there really was almost— Nothing known about it, but, of course, we were concerned about his, its potential as a BW agent. And we knew nothing about the disease. And to me, that's the most interesting part. It's why I actually went into veterinary pathology to understand how a disease works, and we call that pathogenesis. Uh, you have to study it and see what its effect is in the animal before you can really develop a, a really good treatment for it. The thing that was nice, I guess, nicest about this particular agent is they knew nothing about it, really. And so there was a lot of clinical medicine involved with the project because nothing had actually been worked up or even published on it. What was it like working inside those labs where a simple tear in your suit could be life-threatening? People always ask me, aren't you afraid of the virus? I think you have to respect it. Uh, and you have to have your head together when you work with it. And you have to be very careful about your movements. But I never felt it was terrifying. It was just our job. It was never scary to me, other than the one tear I had on my outer spacesuit glove. That was a little scary. Oh, what happened? Well, I, my boss and I were actually doing an autopsy. And the way the spacesuits are designed, your outer glove, there's a pretty rigid ring that goes around it. And your glove comes over that ring. You actually have three pairs of gloves on. 
And uh, I was reaching in to pull a piece of liver out, and my boss's eyes got really big, and he pointed at my suit, my hand, and I turned it over, and I had about a two-inch tear. It had just split around the ring of the suit. And so at that time, he just said, decon and go out, I'll clean up. So at that point, when you go out and you're in that decon shower, that's about the longest 10 minutes in your life because you want to get out and you want to make sure that that inner glove is still okay. Uh, I would say that having that really close call very early in the game really made me super, super careful from then on. The Hot Zone premieres this Memorial Day, May 27th at 9, 8 central on National Geographic. Tune in to see how the true story unfolded. So Stacy's admitted to the hospital on June 30th, which is probably one of the worst days to actually go. From there, it was just a, literally just doctor after doctor would come in. One doctor would come in and say something. It would be maybe the general surgeon. And they would say, oh, your blood work looks good. This looks good. We think you should get an x-ray, okay? Then the next person would come in and they'd say, we don't like the way this looks. We don't like the way this looks. We think you should get a CAT scan. And it, it just felt like it was all over the board. There was no plan in place. And actually, my GI surgeon comes in and sort of explains that, you know, I've got to just, I, got, I have Crohn's disease, remember, and that I've just got to let... My stomach, you know, all the pressure in my stomach from all of the acids, I've got to get that all out. And then from there, once that's relieved, my intestines can be relieved and then the obstruction will resolve itself. So she goes, bye-bye, I'm going on a vacation. Um, I'm going to leave you in the hands of these new residents with the, the, the GI chief resident in charge and they're going to be in charge of your care. They got me all set up with my I- I- IVs. Didn't get pain drugs right away, um, but at least I was getting sort of taken care of. It took a very kind, which I will probably say multiple times, very kind nurse to come in and step in and say, no, 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 she needs this. Um, she needs the pain medicine. This is a very, this is a very painful thing to have a, a, a bowel obstruction. Like, you need to get this woman some drugs. <laughs> so I, ev- I eventually did um, get, get admitted and put on the Dilaudid pain drip. Is Jason in the room for all this? Like, what's his reaction yes. as, as this is all going uh, down? Concern, worry, um, you know, that it's simultaneously. I mean, we're, we're an extremely close oh. couple, so yeah. I, I'm looking at him for physical and emotional support while also he's trying to be sort of, you know, my advocate. One of the things about Jason, though, that's interesting in all of this is that his family has a history of Crohn's. And so he kept telling doctors, like, my wife doesn't have Crohn's. Like, there's no way. Um, my family had, you know, a couple, I think a couple of his cousins have Crohn's. And he's like, this is not something that just comes up out of the blue. So he was trying to tell people that this was not the case. Um, but it, they, they, they continued on. So I had, I had what they call an NG tube administered, which is basically just something that they shove from your nose all the way down your stomach. And yes, it's as horrible as they <laughs> And then I was immediately removed from any food or drink, so I was not allowed to um, have anything. And really, we're just waiting to show some sign of, of the bowel clearing. And, and with bowel clearing, I mean that basically they're waiting for me to pass gas. They're waiting for me to fart. So we're all just like sitting around waiting, you know, but still no one can clearly tell us what's going on. Stacy's parents came to the hospital and they joined Jason's efforts in trying to help. But we have all of these doctors in front of us and they're all giving us different information. 
So about four days into being in the hospital, my doctors think that I'm starting to um, begin to show the signs of my bowels working again. So they remove my NG tube and decide to see if my body starts to get better, or if their obstruction starts to relieve itself. At that time, uh, I was told I would stay on my pain meds and that I would be able to just relax and wait because there was no clear sign if they were actually getting better. So we went about our day the same. My husband slept that night at the hospital with me. And in the middle of the night, we were abruptly awoken when the nurse comes in with tears in her eyes and literally throws a pamphlet on my bed saying that we had to contact the hospital. And it was a pamphlet for complaining about the quality of care. Um, It had a hotline number on it because unfortunately, the chief resident who was in charge of my care while my surgeon was on vacation had pulled me off my pain meds from his laptop at home in the middle of the night. And the nurse had no option but to abide by those rules because he was the person in charge of my care. So that was probably one of the worst days in the hospital for me because not only was I not healthy and my intestines were still obstructed, but I was off of my pain meds and had to, had to lay there at, that night in excruciating pain. The next day, we file the complaint. All these administrators and everybody are coming in, and they're you know wanting to apologize again, but nothing, nothing's changing. So they're just apologizing for nothing. Um, so I get my NG tube put back in because in fa- because really, in fact, what they thought was gas was not gas. So I get my NG tube painfully put back in. Um, The obstruction is 100% still there. And then a few days later, the surgeon comes back in and is shocked. Um, She said several times she was shocked to see that I was still there. So obviously she, A, wasn't keeping track of my care, and B, um, just had no idea of the severity of what was going on with me. Mind you, too, I I was having no—I had no nutrients given to me. It was just an IV with um, just regular fluid. So for nine straight days, almost 10 straight days, I had not a single nutrient put into my body. So I was literally deteriorating as a a human being. I was—consciousness was really hard for me by this point. I really didn't—I didn't know sometimes who was in the room and who wasn't. Um, My body felt absolutely like it did with the ectopic, like it was breaking down. Um, so we scheduled a surgery, which was scheduled initially as a laparoscopic surgery. It's minimally invasive. It's two small cuts. And, and the idea would be they'd go in there, they'd find out what was going on. If something needed to be adjusted, it would be adjusted, but not, nothing, nothing huge. And I, I remember going into surgery and, and thinking and, and, and cr- just crying and, you know, everything in my body was praying, hoping, whatever, that that they would not cut me back open. I remember begging my husband to not let them cut me back open. So next thing you know, I wake up fully cut back open. Um, and this time it's worse. Scar- um, like suction bags for infections are sticking out all over my body. And um, my husband breaks the news to me that when they went to go perform the surgery, as soon as they cut me open, there was a horrible smell because there was a massive infection throughout my entire abdomen. Um, they rec- had to recut open my entire scar and extend it and remove 18 inches of dead intestines that um, had been basically killed. Yeah, so let's just take a minute. Remember, all of this is happening less than a year after Stacy had her ectopic pregnancy. So just when she thought she was recovering and moving on with her life and excited to have kids, she was right back in the hospital. 
Because here's the thing. Stacy never had Crohn's disease. Jason was right. It's not something that you develop overnight. So while her doctors were waiting for what they thought was an obstruction to pass on its own, Stacy was just getting worse. When the surgeon did come in and talk to us about this and explain what happened, um, she said something that I think that will stick with me and my husband for the rest of my life, and that the smell of the infection was so bad, she said her hands stunk for days. It was hard to hear her say that because I think, well, you made the infection. You know, you did this. This is not—the infection was there because of you, and maybe not because of you as a system failing as a whole, but— Just negligence um, across the board. Yes, yes. Like any other doctor who would have just taken the time to actually look at my medical history, they would have realized that the scar tissue and the leftover blood from my ectopic pregnancy essentially strangled my intestines to death. So when I went in, I had a partial obstruction. So part of my intestines was was blocked off, not, not all. And as I laid there and they didn't help me in the way that they should have, that that not only became a full obstruction, but that full obstruction became a a dead bowel and then became an infection because the dead bowel was just sitting in my abdomen. And the general surgeon came in and apologized the day after my surgery for not performing the surgery earlier because he said this could have been avoided um, had we just not thought you had Crohn's. Um, And he apologized. Also, my husband spoke to my OB surgeon who had saved me just the year before because she also had been on vacation. Um, And um, she had said that this should have just been so obvious. This should have been just, to anybody who looked at my record should have looked at them and said, "This, this was an obstruction due to scar tissue. But it felt very much like everybody was comfortable with the Crohn's because it, it meant that they didn't have to do anything. It meant that the general surgeon didn't have to do anything, the OBGYN didn't have to do anything, the, the, the protocol is to sit so that my GI surgeon could go on her lovely little vacation, the resident could do things from his computer at home, and we fought and we fought. It was, you really don't, you really can't imagine how you're going to react in a situation like that until you're in it. It was like every single day we woke up and it was a battle. Every day we would meet with doctors and demand answers and get nothing. And and you're yelling at these people in front of you and then the next day you've got to see them again. You know, it's 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 really difficult. So next, there was just recovery time. So they had to make sure the infection left my body, and they had to make sure that my intestines basically reconnected and healed themselves. So again, I'm in in a bed rest situation, NG tube, no eating or drinking, and I'm waiting to fart. And eventually, Stacey did pass gas, and it was a great sign. It meant her intestines were healing. After being in a hospital for a month, Stacey finally got to go home. Her friend said she had grounds for a malpractice suit, but Stacy was conflicted. Just a year before, doctors saved her life from her ectopic pregnancy, but then they almost killed her by ignoring her symptoms and insisting that she had Crohn's disease. The thing that gave them some sense of closure was a name for what they endured. It's called the July effect. Afterwards, we we read a whole article on on the whole theory of like the July effect, and you know, July first is the start of interns, and, and there's sort of an increase in, in in deaths in hospitals because of lack of knowledge. Um, I I don't I don't know if that's necessarily true for all, but 
it, it could be more of a myth, but but in this case, it, 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 fe- it felt sort of true for us. So we read this afterwards and we were like, wait, did this just happen to us? You know, um, because there did feel like uh, an element of this really played into the um, the fact that we had what felt like just n- no supervision, no one, no one watching over us. Every year in teaching hospitals, July is when medical students become interns. Interns become residents and each class of residents move up a level. So this means that new doctors are immediately put into new patient care. On their first day, new interns can have the same responsibilities as now second year residents. The idea that patients admitted in July are more at risk could just be a myth. But what happened to Stacy was very real and also very painful. It felt like a bunch of for lack of a term, children monitoring our care. Now, I don't, I don't think that was the truth. I think that these, you know, these new residents are doing the best that they can. It's the people that are in charge of them. Supervision is the key, that somebody's watching over them and, and, and making sure that they're um, doing their jobs. But it was funny to read about that afterwards because it was like, wow, did, did that play a role? Did Fourth of July vacations play a role? Did the fact that these doctors are so worn down that they just want their freaking vacation, that they're willing, you know, to sort of let some things slide because of it. And and I think that is something that definitely played into what happened to us. You're back at home now, again, newlyweds, out of the hospital. And and then what was the road to recovery like after you got out? Um, th- this time, I think there was... Um, it was it was a little bit more of a, a rougher road, um, you know. You're 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 mentally exhausted. You're physically it's exhausted. There was just a, there was a lot of blame, you know. Mm-hmm. What could we have done more? What could what could have Jason done more? What could have Stacy done more? What 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 could have my parents done more? You know, there was just so much blame and hurt when I got out that that there was again just a, just a strong need for like a, a a therapist and someone to really help me work through it. Um, Where did you find yourself you, placing most of the blame? On myself, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, I mean, why? It, it, it felt it felt like it fell squarely on my on my shoulders um, because it all goes back to the ectopic. Like, had I not laid there for this long, probably none of this would have happened. You know, um, it, it 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 really did feel like it was it was on me. So yeah, I mean, there was definitely, you know, we we worked through it for sure. It 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 uh, um, but yeah, a lot a lot of therapy, a lot of um, a lot of leaning on friends and family. Um, I think that one of my biggest takeaways um, from this was um, that that you have to lean on the people that you love and let them know how you're feeling. Um, I have a phenomenal husband, as we mentioned before. Um, he helped me out a lot physically. You know, I can't. I wasn't walking very well. I couldn't do stairs. I couldn't drive. Um, so physically, you know, at times he had to help me bathe. He had to shave my legs for me if I wanted to shave my legs. But um, he also mentally like gave me the space, you know, t- to heal. So he wasn't always in my face, wanting me to talk about things, wanting me to. And I feel like I'm just that kind of person that needs a little bit more space you know you can you can talk yourself to death you really can um and you know my parents were amazing they were there for us by february 2013 stacy had been healthy for a while she thought it was time to start trying for a family again she told jason on valentine's day it would have been it was on it was on valentine's day in 2013 um i sort of gave him a card and i said "I, i think it's time you know we've had these two things happen i've been healthy for a while now i think it's time that we start 
so he and he took it well because he's terrified, right? I mean, this all happened because of a pregnancy. I mean, none of this would have happened if I didn't get pregnant. So he's terrified. And then we get pregnant super quickly. I mean, I think it was just like a month later we were pregnant. Um, and then it's scary because is is an ectopic again? Do we know? Is it you know? Am I, is it going to rupture? Um, so we we wait a little while, get some blood work done, and we get an ultrasound. It's in the uterus. It's in there safe. We're pregnant again for the second time. We plan this trip um, to New York City for Mother's Day. Uh, I wasn't a mother quite yet, but we were gonna meet my mom in New York City. Jason and I were gonna come, and right before we're about to leave, um, I start bleeding. We go to the hospital, and we have an ultrasound done, and the heartbeat's still there. So the doctor's like, you know, some women just bleed, just go to New York City, it's fine. And um, we go to New York City, and we land, and as soon as we land, I turned him and said that there's something wrong. Stacy was having a miscarriage. I really truly think that the hardest thing in all of this was that miscarriage. Excuse me. It really was the hardest thing of all those things because it really felt like such a gift that was given to us after those two things happened. And so many people kept telling us over and over and over again how lucky we were to be pregnant. And we weren't telling that many people because we were scared, but um, you know, having to make those calls afterwards and tell people and you know, there's more there's more blame because, you know, you're like, shouldn't I have traveled? Should I have done more of this? Or in the end, I mean, some pregnancies are just lost because they're lost. They, they were never meant to be or whatever. But it definitely felt like we were given a gift and it was taken away. And it was by far the most painful of the things that had happened to us. What I did was I threw myself into wanting a baby even more and 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 wanting to get pregnant even more after that, that that just became such a strong part of what we wanted. And so we tried again. Soon, Stacy was pregnant again. And nine months later, Stacy gave birth to a girl. They named her Emerson. And just as Stacy was starting to feel like herself, medical misfortune struck her family once again. During a routine dentist appointment, a spot was found on Jason's tongue. Since Jason didn't drink or smoke, the dentist was certain that it wasn't oral cancer. But after what they had just gone through with Stacy, they had to be sure. We are going to advocate for ourselves. We are going to make sure that we take care of ourselves because, as we've learned, in some cases, no one else is going to but us. So we pushed and we pushed. Finally, begrudgingly, they took the biopsy. And they were like, it's not that, literally, as they're, like, digging a big scoop out of his tongue, they're like, this is nothing, this is dumb, like, we shouldn't be doing this. And then the biopsy results come back, and they're positive for oral cancer. Honestly, I, I just remember breaking down, you know, here I am, a mother of a, you know, eight-month-old daughter. I've, I've got these two horrible, you know, surgeries that I've had, and then my husband gets cancer. <laughs> it was, it felt like the hits just kept coming. It, it really did. Because Stacy and Jason caught the cancer early, doctors were able to remove it relatively easily. Jason has been cancer-free ever since. And for what felt like the first time since they got married, they finally could breathe again. And Stacy could process the past few years with her therapist. One of the biggest, biggest pieces of advice that she gave me that I carry every day in my life now is that when I was blaming myself for all of these things that happened to me, um, we just kept going back to that. Like, well, if I'd done this and if I'd done that. And finally, one day, she stopped me and said, you know, 
you're doing something that's an ultimate trap that will leave you trapped in this world forever. And she said, I'm taking information that I have available to me today and applying that to the decisions I made in the past. And I can't do that. I can't use information I know now and judge myself for decisions I made before. And it opened my eyes to so many things. Since then, Stacy gave birth to a healthy baby boy named Wyatt. Her life feels normal again, and she does not take it for granted. Really, this has given me just so much perspective on life that you almost, I, I really truly do think that you ha- have to experience some, some bad in order to really appreciate the good. I mean, everything to me feels so much more luckier because of this stuff that I can really look at things I can connect more to people now. So I think that trauma in some ways connects us. Um, you, you, feel, you, you go through things, and it doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but that people who are in different situations, they can feel bonded just because they've recovered or they've survived something. We all have struggles. And I really think that this perspective it's given me is it's just made me a better person. From Wondery, this is I Survivor. I Survivor is hosted by me, Jenna Brister, and Wangatwe Wanjuki. This episode was produced by Greta Weber. Our senior producer is Diane DiStefano. Audio engineering by Sergio Enriquez. Sound design and additional editing by Kyle Randall for Bay Area Sound. I Survivor is produced by Leah Sutherland. Executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Marshall Louis, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hey, have you heard what other listeners have to say about the Wondery app? I think the Wondery app is really organized in a very natural way, sorts my options out so that I can really like zero in on that type of podcast I'm looking for. It's given me some good ideas for what's up next. So once I'm done and through all the seasons of Even the Rich, I plan on starting Guru. Don't just take our word for it. Try the Wondery app for free and join Wondery Plus for more. Wondering. Feel the story.